Rutgers legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Welcome, 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 my friend, to the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com, Brad Wilson. And today's guest on the show is Split Pot Specialist, author, and poker coach, Greg Vale. Greg's back for a round two because I got so distracted by our amazing first conversation that I forgot to ask him any of the regular CPG questions you've come to love and expect, like, what is Greg's regular process for improving his own game? What does Greg think is the most high-impact action you can take to improve your poker game? And breaking down some common poker advice Greg disagrees with. And if you're sitting there wondering whether or not I let my curiosity overtake me once again when speaking with Greg, wonder no more. You know it did, I just can't help myself. In today's conversation, you're going to learn why flatting a 4-bet with pocket kings does not mean jamming wasn't a profitable option, Greg and I's thoughts on why folks who are at the top of their field sometimes fail to bridge the gap to poker success, the surprising benefit of being wrong all the time, and much, much more. So without any further ado, I bring to you the brilliant and entertaining author of Scoop, Greg Vale. Greg, welcome back to the show, man. How you doing? Good. How you doing? I'm doing doing very well. Feeling very good. Happy to have you back for round two conversation. We kind of just talked and talked and talked the first time without kind of asking the, the standard questions, right? Yeah, I feel, I. I, I've heard that a few times from people, um, but you know, I like to ask questions too. <laughs> so we end up in, getting talking off off cue and get off into different concepts and topics and stuff. So yeah, sorry I mean, or not, I don't no, know. No, don't don't be sorry because I think for the listener, like just having a a set template of questions that they just hear over and over and over again is probably pretty boring. So like getting yeah. new flavors, exploring curiosity, going down tangents that haven't really been discussed before is a thing that I personally value because, again, just asking a, a set amount of questions to the same people over and over again would be quite boring for me as well, just producing the podcast. Yeah, that depends on the questions too. <laughs> you get kind of goofy with that. But. Yeah, even still, it's like I'm somebody that explores curiosity. And I think that like this is probably a large part of why I've been successful at poker is just why does this thing happen? Like why does X, Y, and Z? like just always diving in deeper and deeper and deeper it's something that like i just love doing is learning about things why things work why people work why games work why some person is really good at poker and another human being who's on the same level of intelligence right. is really horrible at poker no matter what they do like that something interesting is happening there right that actually fascinates me too. I, I've I have never quite been able to put my finger on what makes somebody like a neurosurgeon or a very successful lawyer absolutely suck at poker. I mean, I just I, I don't know where that disconnect is. You get these people who are absolute geniuses in their field and in life. They're good with money. They're good with 
you know, especially the lawyer thing kills me. That's the one that gets me when I see somebody's a lawyer and they're a shitty card player. Like it just blow, it blows my mind. I'm like, you are a brilliant human being, and you, these are very simple things. You you know, you can tie all these weird laws and precedents together and change people's lives in a courtroom, but you can't figure out basic arithmetic. Like it just just blows but, my mind. I, I can't figure out why that is. Yeah, and lawyers specifically ought to have a high emotional intelligence, right? Reading reading yeah. the room, understanding like what's going to affect people, like being very precise with your language all of these things i i don't understand it either but maybe it's just like you know if you're a lawyer you spend a lot of time in school and you spend a lot of time practicing law and so you don't have enough time to devote to being a great card player maybe that has a lot to do with it i don't know i mean a lot of those skills are i feel transfer over you know like you said reading the room that transfers to poker like really easy you know and and reading precedent or doing medical research like all of this it's no different than doing basic arithmetic on your you know on your computer or going over a hand history i mean a, a lawyer gets slaughtered in a courtroom the, what's the first the first thing they do is go figure out why you know they sit down and figure out well at least a good one anyway <laughs> we'll sit and figure out why and go through all the things that that beat them you know and it's that's what they do because that's their job but then when they get on the poker table you know, they just, it just doesn't happen. And it blows my mind. I, I've never been able to figure out what skill or trait that people have learned or are born with. I don't know that allows people to be a good learning mind in poker. I, I can't, I've never figured that out. I mean, I'm sure you've had plenty of students that you've taught that just, they just get it, you know, they just get it. And then people who are absolutely brilliant in whatever else they do. And they just can't, can't figure it out. Can't connect A to B. Yeah, it's something, you know, being a poker coach, I think about it a lot. Like, how do I reach specific individuals if they're not grasping the concepts that we're working on regularly? And, you know, a lot of it has to do with managing your emotions, being able to execute in the fog of war. I think that like when the executing when the pressure is on is a skill set in and of itself. It's easy to know exactly what you should do when you're reviewing a hand history that your friend played when you're not actually sitting there making the decision. So I think a lot of it kind of goes together. And yeah, another thing too, that I think people make the mistake of doing as it relates to poker is like, we value complexity. We just want to make everything overly complex to, to the point to where like, it's not executable and it's not worth anything. And then that just means you just play like shit because you're constantly (laughs) like, yeah, you're trying to execute just unexecutable things. Um, I run into that in big O all the time. And it's the, always the argument when people obsess over the pre-flop round, you know, and it's just like it's people trying to, I, I get emails. One of the most common emails I get, that's not asking about coaching or books or whatever is asking my opinion on something like this situation happened. We have a bet, please solve it. It blows my mind how often this happens. And you know, it's like, which hand is the favorite, which hand is better and like, I got it in pre-flop and they said, you know, somebody told me I was wrong and I think I'm right. And I'm, that's my answer. Like what you just said is that you're, you're trying to make things overly complex. Like, you know, you're arguing over a difference in 2% equity pre-flop when there's however many billions of hand combinations, you know, and people are like, well, I thought he had this, this, and this. And I'm like, you have five cards and there's, there's no flop yet. Like you may be able to suspect there's two, three or four cards, but no one on earth, me included, can peg somebody on five perfect cards pre-flop. You just can't. And even and even if you could, the math runs so simple and so close together that like 
no matter what conclusion you come to, whichever side of the line you land on, by whatever method you use, you're never going to get a, an answer that's repeatable and that's also that you can prove scientifically again. You know, if, if you nail four cards, cool. But can you nail four cards next time? Can you nail five cards next time? And then also act on the math? I mean, no, <laughs> not really. You know, This was a, a question in my community this week that somebody posed and it was related to my course, Preflop Bootcamp. And there was a spot where they flat a three bet with Kings preflop. Mm -hmm. And the question that they asked was, is it not profitable to four bet Kings? And my reply was, that is not the right question to ask. The right question to ask is, is it more profitable to four bet or to flat? Right? Like both of them are going to be profitable, but one of them might be more profitable than the other. So that's the right question, right? So like in your instance of, ruminating over a couple of percents of equity, perhaps take the decision where we gain some more data points and can see the flop and then go from there where we can capture more EV with more information a little bit deeper, you know? Yeah. And I generally, I I play Hold'em with a a very similar philosophy, you know, whereas I generally will not value somebody's game as much when they obsess over the preflop round and they ask questions like that, or that's their first thing. It's like you, you simply must four bet Kings when you're three bet from the blind, you know, but, but you're, they're not taking into consideration the player, the image, the stack size. It's like, you know, might not be a good idea if you're 3000 big blinds deep. Like, yeah, well, you know, there's a lot of things that go to it. You know, what's the value? Well, how much value do you lose by turning your hand face up? I mean, a vast majority of poker players, I mean, like 99.5% of poker players have a two-hand four-betting range. They just do. You know, and that, this is Hold'em too. Not, you know, Big O is different. But like, so many people have such a thin range. So what's the value of keeping it opaque? You know, are you going to gain more with the four-bet? Are you going to gain more by letting, you know, having somebody with jacks assume that you have ace-high? Right. Like there's, there's always value. Like this was like a funny thing that I recognized very early on. It's like a 21 year old kid that didn't know my head from a hole in the ground was like the conventional wisdom at the time was like never slow play aces. And I was like, that can't possibly be right. Like that just doesn't make any sense to me because like, that seems like the perfect hand to slow play against like an aggressive nittier type opponent that's going to bluff a lot post flop, right? Like they're just they're just going to put a lot of money in when it's uncalled for. So yeah, I mean, I think that ignoring data points, you know, even having a plan on flops, like this is a thing that I cover in private coaching sessions all the time. It's like, well, I'm going to call the flop and then fold the turn. And it's like, we don't know what the turn is. We don't know, like they have a spectrum of bet sizes they could use. Like we don't have these data points to operate on. So like- right it sounds weird coming from a coach to say, don't have a plan on the turn, but like you can't plan for every single thing that's going to happen. So just let the information come to you and then make the best decision that you can given the data points that are available. True. I mean, you, you can plan for all, you know, 38 possible river cards or whatever, like, you know, you you can plan for things within reason, but like, I think maybe to clarify, it's like, don't have a predetermined plan. You know, right. like I'm I'm gonna call here and then fold these cards and these cards. Well, that may not be the best thing. You might get a new, like you said, a new data point on the turn. You know, what if 
you pick up a new piece of information or something and then that changes your read. Yeah, you, you get a timing tell. Like you, you get you get a timing tell, you get a sizing tell. Like just equities shift in a dramatic way from the flop to the turn where like your opponent betting is doesn't make much sense. Like this right. is this happens typically when like a middle pair pairs, right? Like a villain three bet pot, villain opens and then like jack 10 dues to 10 pairs. Well, we're going to have more tens than our opponents. So now when they're like blasting away on the turn, like, what does it mean? Um, yeah. it's, it's going to mean something. So anyway, have a plan, but don't have like, don't just pigeonhole yourself to a future decision when you, when you don't know the data points that are going to, going to come across. And yeah, so let me pull back here because we've once again, like we're going, I'm going away from the script and I feel like we're just going to end this whole conversation without, uh, <laughs> without asking any of the questions um, sorry dude. I, 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 we didn't talk a lot that's cool <laughs> it's like uh yeah i mean it anyway it, yeah, i talk sorry, a lot <laughs> i talk a lot i guess you talk a lot and so when we get together it's like we just yep. <laughs> we, we can just go on and on and on yep. um okay, <laughs> okay. so we'll, we'll start here um okay who is your biggest influence in becoming a poker professional Ooh. um our monetary system that's my biggest influence. <laughs> I have always seen poker as a means to an end. I've seen it. Um, I've seen poker as a good way to get what I want out of our preordained monetary system, our system of money. Was there a player and, that was getting <clears throat> the money? A, a player? No. Um, like, I, I think we talked about this last time. Like I didn't get into poker because I like, it was something I wanted to do. Um, I got into poker because I was trying to go the route of professional golf at the time. Mm -hmm. And it was painfully obvious that, well, not at the time, but it was obvious to me now that I just didn't have the mental maturity and the, the commitment, I guess, to make, to do, make it a full-time job, even though I hated making golf work. I hated it. Um, I got into it because it was a challenge. And then I realized that, you know, when I quit my job in 2005, that it, my job was just in the way, you know, it was not, it was just, it was a means to an end. So it was like, I'm just making three times more than I am working. So that my job's in the way. So it's just better, you know, chasing, chasing the money, I guess, you know, but you know, I've always, I've been offered several jobs, like since I got out of the army and um, you know, you can't, you can't pay me enough. You know, it's like, if somebody offers me a job that pays me a significant per- percentage more than I make playing cards, I, I would consider taking it like it's not, you know, something I'm tied to. But like, as far as influence, it was just having a more effective and more enjoyable means to an end. You know, have, that's that's really what what influenced me to get in and stay in poker. You know, yeah, then, I mean, the money's good. Uh, uh, the money, the money's a very attractive. Aspect. Yeah. Of yeah. Poker. And it wasn't it wasn't like any I don't I don't think I've ever had like a an influence of like certain players. I mean, people have said things here and there, pick up little tidbits from certain players. But I think honestly, if I had to quantify it as like, what was my biggest influence? I wouldn't say it's a who, but it was always, it was always the negative things that I heard and not wanting to be like that. You know, that always like when I heard people do something or they, I saw them do something blatantly out of line or like something that's a, a losing proposition or whatever, some, some bad move. And then they would perceive it to be the right thing to do. I never wanted that to be me. You know, I never, I don't know. It's always a form of self-improvement, I guess, is my, my motivation behind being in poker and staying in poker. But, um, you know, 
soon as something else comes around where I, I can make more than I do now and more secure and maybe something that I don't have to pay for my own health insurance, then yeah, sure. Maybe, but <laughs> you know, that's, I'm, I have a business management degree, not a, you know, electrical engineering or a medical degree or something. Yeah. So I don't think that's happening. I have no degree. So the amount of money that I wish to be paid is not going to happen <laughs> from, yeah. from any, any source uh, based on my current skill set. Even though my current yeah. skill set does grow on a daily basis as it relates sure. to like marketing and copywriting and, you know, right. business management, just based on experience of running my own business and marketing and selling and writing and all this stuff. Uh, it, it's not really that translatable or transferable to, you know, the real world and what people are looking for. And plus right. my demands are, are way too much. Like I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to demand way <laughs> too much money than oh, anybody's yeah. willing to pay me. Oh yeah. And that's, you know, it's, it's also a lifestyle thing, you know, like, you know, I mean, I've, I've mentioned this before with not our last conversation, but like, if you, if you tell somebody, <clears throat> I set my own schedule, my own boss, I make this, I make X amount of dollars, I pay less taxes than you probably, you know, <laughs> like, I pay this, I pay that I, I, I don't, um, you know, the government doesn't interfere with me very often. I, um, I love my job, I enjoy my life, I have all the free time I want, I don't have to set to a schedule. If you ask some, if you told somebody all that, they say, well, that's pretty much a dream job. What do you do? I play poker. Oh, it's not a real job. Yeah. Well, yeah, it kind of is. <laughs> if I if I can finance a house on it, yeah, it is. <laughs> but like, yeah, it, it's uh, you know, it, it's that that constant improvement and that that living the lifestyle that you come used to living. It's just not going to happen with a regular job. It's just not. Yeah, the the people that say like that's not a job, I I think those people I, I've I've made a conscious effort to like they just don't get a place in my life. <laughs> like oh. they they just it's like okay, cool, like. Ugh, your your opinion so... your, your opinion's cool but um we're not going to be friends that's an opinion born from a place of ignorance like that's all it is you know when someone says your your career is not a real job that's not actual work it's like well you don't do it you've never had to do it you don't have to stick to a schedule like you know when when you got to go to a game and it's the best game of the week that you play and there's something else going on on a saturday night that you you would pay money to be going to not going to play cards and you have to suck it up and go play because that's your job, you know, and it's, you know, that sucks. It's not, there's nobody wants to do that. You can't take, we don't get sick days. We don't, you know, <laughs> we yeah, can't we, call in sick to work. We still, we, we have to pay for that ourselves, you know? Yeah. We, we eat what we kill. And yeah. I, I think <laughs> who else that, goes to, who else goes to work and loses money sometimes? Not, you know? not many people, <laughs> not um, many people. That's not sucks. many people play get get pumped up to go play a really juicy game and end up getting buried and <laughs> come heaps, home yeah. and yeah it's like how'd you do well i that lost I, I lost 5k like it it, oh. it didn't it didn't end well it, it ended pretty poorly yeah, uh, tell me that's not work whatever yeah that's <laughs> that takes a level of uh mental resilience that i think is that it does not natural um for most human beings yeah so, so it's it's not even the same as a commission job like it's just totally different a different world that requires a different level of i don't know stubbornness maybe or motivation you, something. You, gotta, you have to you have to be very responsible if you know you can't be an idiot and make a living in poker you just can't absolutely not and if you have like just one leak you're done one one week you really live in good. vegas <laughs> yeah you have a single leak and like when i lived there mine was food you know and it was bad I mean, if uh, food is not a good vice to have when you live in Las Vegas, man, you spend all your winnings on food. It's, it's even, it's not even like a, 
a dramatic leak, right? It's not like nope. you're, you're <laughs> it's not like, even a bad one. <laughs> right. You're not like getting bottle service and hookers and blow nope. every night. Like you're nope, just eating hundred bucks a plate, <laughs> hundred bucks a plate. We'll do it. Or buffets. Oh man. It's like, and that's not even a bad vice. Like, Oh God, that can be such a drain, such a drain. Yeah. So let's go back to the regularly scheduled template again and ask you, what is, what does your process look like for regularly improving your game? Oh, you're going to think I'm the biggest nerd ever. Cause I am. Um, so when I'm <laughs> like, when I'm at the poker table, I'm always listening to classic, uh, classical music. Usually, mm-hmm. um, I try to keep as, as level headed and focused as possible and focus purely on the mistakes and the quality of my decisions. And then after a hand is completed, I'm doing this on the fly all the time. And after a hand is completed, I immediately go back over immediately and go back over every decision with the information I had at the time and attempt to make a third party opinion, you know, as if I was looking at it, it wasn't me that played it. You know, it's not my money. I'm not attached. Right. And you know, it's, it becomes such a ritual that it's now habitual, like completely. And you know, there's plenty of times where after a hands over, I'm so focused on that. Somebody talks to me and I don't even hear it. <laughs> like I don't even, you know, and I'm, I'm just trying to focus on the decisions. Um, if there's, if there's ever a decision I'm not sure of this, the fir- as soon as I get home, the first thing I will do is jump on the computer and um, run it through a calculator, you know, and check my math and see if I was right or I was wrong, or if there was some other decision I could come to. Um, I used to keep a journal. I don't need more, although I do recommend that for a lot of my beginning students um, just to organize their thoughts. Um, I used to do that. Like I don't need more, but as far as like uh, getting better, it's, it's just something I'm always thinking about. I'm always thinking about, you know, like a, what's the six Sigma approach to poker, you know, what's the most efficient and best way possible. If I could ever reach that point and stay there, you know, that's, that's in the zone, you know? Yeah, if and, if you could find a good move, look for a better move, right? Yeah, and just continue, until I get to a point where I can I can go through my whole session or my whole day or whatever, and I cannot find a more optimum decision, and that comes even with like the route I take driving to the damn poker room. <laughs> like it's it's bad. I obsess efficiency. I'm so obsessed with it. I'm so obsessed. I think if we could go back, you know, we're talking about like the recipe of like making a winning good poker player. Like just to kind of give an insight to like you know, your route to the poker room, right? Trying to be yeah. maximum, maximum, reach maximum efficiency. When I was yeah. like 15 years old, my very first job was a bag boy at a grocery store called Bilo. And yeah. I remember wanting to be the cashier that rang up the most, had the highest items per minute because like that was a metric that they tracked, right? Like right. I, everything that I've ever done in my life, every job that I've had, I've just had this thought in my head that I just want to be the best. Like, even if it's like cleaning floors, like mopping floors, sweeping a restaurant, like, I don't know why I'm wired this way. But like, for some reason, I'm like imagining in my head that I'm in like the fucking Olympics of table busing. And like, somehow I'm being judged somewhere. And and like, that transferred very, very well to poker, because like, there's always places where you can improve efficiency. There's always these things that these little improvements that you can make and being curious and exploring those, in my opinion, has been a large part of my success as a poker player. Yeah. And that, that's a skill I learned in the army, actually efficiency. I didn't have that before. And you know, where they taught, that was how you got promoted. 
in the army. At least when I, when I showed up in the infantry, like day one, that was the piece of advice I got. So they told me like, you know, if you want out, you want to do something else, you be the most high speed soldier you can. And that means you sweep the floor excessively high speed. You, you know, clean the bathroom excessively high speed. You cut the grass faster than everybody. You get more shit done quicker and better. And then you get promoted. And it was just like, you learn, you learn efficiency in the most mundane, useless crap ever. And then and it just like becomes an obsession, you know, cause you don't want to waste time. Cause like the one, the most, I think one of the most valuable things in the military that people don't talk about is sleep. You never get enough of it. <clears throat> and it's viewed as a resource. Your time is more valuable than anything because you don't get much of it. So you never want to waste a single second of your sleep because you never get eight hours of sleep. It just doesn't happen. Five years in the army, I, I don't remember the last time I got to eight hours. Like it just doesn't happen. <clears throat> you know, and uh, you know, that transfers over to poker. It's like being efficient. Well, that also means being efficient with your focus, your bets, your not necessarily your results, but everything else that leads up to it. Yeah. Can you accomplish with one bet what you can accomplish with two? Yep. Right. Or, or can or you accomplish with around. yeah, right? Like yeah. basically Basically, like, how do you maximize efficiency, lose the minimal min spots where other people are losing an additional bet, right? Like, yeah. there are plenty of these spots to find. They're, like, everywhere on the game tree if you're kind of paying attention and know what to look for. Yeah. Um, and I think that just, like, removing, you know, eliminating some of those lost bets go a very, very long way as it relates to dramatically improving your win rate, your ability to beat a wide variety of games. Yep. Money not lost is no different than money won. You know, and I, I just had this conversation yesterday with a student of mine that um, <clears throat> was having a hard time. He was overbetting everything, just overbetting everything because he had, <clears throat> excuse me, he had received some advice. I think it was some tournament hold'em coaching he had that somebody made the argument that if you go for the one big, the one giant play that gets paid off one time in 10, that's always more profitable than going for the smaller play that gets paid off like half the time. And I was like, you know, in high low, that's not always the case, but a lot of times if you can make one pot size bet that gets called, you know, one time in five, that person will still call two very small bets, you know, and sometimes, sometimes those two small bets add up to more than a pot size bet. And it's like, there's, there's people will easily make multiple small mistakes versus one big giant high profile large mistake people don't like that even the worst players don't like to do that but if you can get more money out of somebody making two small mistakes rather than one big one you know that happens at a higher frequency a lot of times that's more profitable yeah and finding this, those outside the box ways of doing it this is like a thing that i've spent maybe more than anything else in my career thinking about is like river efficiency value bet efficiency, bluff efficiency, and understanding the threshold to where villains are going to call with a high frequency and then the threshold that villains are going to fold with a high frequency. And like, if you think about it very primitively, like the way that I thought about it when I was 22 or 23, I would just ask myself the question, like, would like, if I'm trying to make somebody fold, I would imagine that I had the nuts and I would ask myself like, what bet would I be afraid of making? Because I don't think it's going to be, be getting called very often at all. And if I had a bluff, I would just bet that amount. <laughs> like it, it's just that simple. If I'm, if I were trying to make somebody fold, like 
a hand that I think my opponent has with a high frequency, like top pair, top kicker here, like would I be comfortable jamming on a river to make them fold that category of hand? If not, then jamming makes a lot of sense with your value when you're trying to maximize maximize your EV. And so like, it's a very simple way of thinking about things, but ultimately like it led me over time to getting pretty good at finding people's thresholds of pain, like the point right. to where they're going to fold a large percentage of their range. And then the other, the opposite point of like when they're going to call with a high frequency. Sense. Yep. Um, what, what do you think is the most high impact action poker players can take to improve their game? Oof. Like in at what time frame? Are well, we talking tonight, like improve their game tonight or talking to improve over the next year? We'll say over the next year because poker poker's played over the long term. <clears throat> okay. Um, one of the first things I tell people is that if you don't keep records, it's mandatory. No winning poker player doesn't keep records. You know, it's, you have to do that. If you don't know where you're, where you're at, how are you ever supposed to plan a plan a path forward? Um, <clears throat> so you're keeping records has to happen and you have to treat it like a business. You know, you're not, you're not entertaining. If you're, if poker is entertaining, don't try to get better because poker's not, poker's boring as hell. <laughs> like if, you know, it, it shouldn't be a, a source of entertainment. You know, if it is, that's fine, but it can still be fun. And, you know, I, I said this in my first book, you know, what's really fun is winning a lot. That's fun. <laughs> you know, get better and you will win more often. That's a lot of fun. Um, but uh, I think, yeah, keeping records, digesting your records, and really assimilating all the information that it'll tell you, and then acting on that information. Um, and doing so with not what you think you should do, you know, it's like every, every poker player wants to show up every night and just smash the game for a thousand big blinds. Everybody wants to do that all the time. It's not a realistic expectation. So therefore setting and maintaining realistic expectations is a really good skill to have if they want to get better. Cause like every player wants to just smash everybody all the time, not good for business and it's not sustainable. You know, you, you show up and you smash everybody for stacks, every hand you play, eventually you're not going to get played. Like nobody's going to play anymore and that's not good for the game. So yeah, realistic expectations, keeping and digesting and assimilating notes uh, and your, and your records um, really help you keep that objective opinion as to what's going on. And if you're listening right now and you are planning a path through the poker world, figure out what your goals are and what it will take to reach them. What stakes do you need to be playing? Yeah. What win rate do you need to have? Like have a plan and then create a path to get there because you need a path, right? Like you, you need a way to make this dream come true. And that's going to happen in stages. And it's going to end up with you being in a specific situation. And it's just something that I hear way too frequently is like, what are your goals? Okay. You don't really have any. Yeah. And you know, what's your aim here? Like at the end of the day, like if you could wave a magic wand and be in a specific position five years from now in the poker space, like where would that be? Like you need to get clear on your vision because if you're not clear on your vision, how can you ever expect to reach it? Right. Yeah. You're just, it's just, nothing yeah that's true and another skill like this is a hard one but and i know it's it's kind of cliche to say but like you really have to focus on the quality of your decisions not the results you know if you want to get better over the next year you have these like anybody trying to get better has to learn to focus on their the quality of their decisions and be able to evaluate themselves in a practical real sense that's completely devoid of the ego 
And so if somebody can do that, if you can focus on only the quality of your decisions and not the outcome, the outcome actually handles itself. You know, and that's basic winning poker knowledge from way back in the day. But, you know, it, it's, it shocks me how many people, I mean, even we probably, I mean, I'm sure you probably do it sometimes too. You know, you make the perfect decision, get a bad, you know, a bad outcome and you're, you know, a little bit upset about it. You know, it's like, yeah, it I don't sucks know. to lose. I, but. I, I, so sometimes, but it's pretty rare. Like it's pretty rare because like I just come from the school of like make good decisions, period. Yeah. Like the goal Focus of this game, the goal of this game is not to win money. The goal of this game is just to make good decision after good decision, stack them on top of each other. And the side effect is that you make the money, right? Like the goal is not to make the money. The side effect of making good decisions is what brings you the money. And so I guess like over time, just millions of hands and just losing, getting my brains beat in on a regular basis. Like It's like, I have created this. I just let it go. It's just like gone. I'm just like, the first question is like, am I happy with the way that I played the hand? Am I happy with my decision-making process? If the answer is yes. Okay. I don't need to think about that anymore. It's just something I don't need to think about. So, but it's hard, man, because there's an emotional attachment, especially as it relates to playing a game for money where, you know, you feel good when you win money and you feel really bad when you lose money. And that's, uh, that's just, it's tough. It's, it's tough, tough to get over. It really is tough to get over, but that's that's a big one. If you can focus on only the quality of your decisions, you will you will improve, and you will improve quickly. And you'll you know be better I mean? than the average poker player, and you will make money. And that's yep. just it's a hard thing to nail down, though, because like people, we have this we have this thing, right? Like a very common thing that happens in my when I get asked questions is like, should I have done something differently here, right? Um, right. I lost this big pot. Should I have done something differently? Right. And it's like, maybe next time I'll do this. Maybe next time I'll do that. Right. And the way that I think about that is like, you're just, they're just engaging in this. Uh, they're, they're engaging in this exercise of pain avoidance where like they experience uh, a very unhappy and uncomfortable result. And so now the job is how do I construct a strategy to where I never have to experience such an emotion ever again. Right. And like, I'm gonna lose the hand. I'm gonna win every hand I play all the time, ever. Right. Doesn't matter. Like, I'll just that, limp. I'll limp three bad aces for 875 big blinds, and I don't know why I'm losing. Right. Know? Like, I mean, it, it's like you you can't avoid that. You have yeah. to be comfortable being uncomfortable. You have to be comfortable with That's losing yeah. losing big pots. And you know, you touch a hot stove. I, I guess the natural human instinct is to not want to touch stoves anymore. But yep. like in poker, you have no choice because you're constantly getting in there and being uncomfortable and losing stacks and like getting unlucky. And that's just, that's part of the game. And it's a part that I personally love and poker wouldn't exist without that part of the game. And so you may as well embrace it. Yeah. There's the, that's that catch 22. It's like, none of us want to get the bad variants. We all try to avoid it, but without it, there wouldn't be poker would be chess, you know, and that's, and I uh, suck at chess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, me too. <laughs> I used to be good when I was a kid, but man, it's just not there anymore. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I suck at chess. Like, my game is understanding people and the way they work. And like, I love the gambling variance aspect of poker. Like, yeah, yeah, let's gamble, let's play. That that's yeah. that's fun to me. You never know what's going to happen. True. Look, I totally get it. You feel like being a lone wolf in your poker journey has hamstrung your ability to realize your full potential. So I'm about to give you a golden opportunity to plug into a supportive tribe that will be the poker family you've always wished you had. How much money would you give for one hour of interactive group coaching 
led by myself, Coach Thomas, and occasionally past guests of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. For now, and this will absolutely change at some point in the near future, the price of admission to the live Poker Power Hour is 100% free. All you've got to do to get your invite is head to ChasingPokerGreatness.com and hop on the VIP newsletter. No more excuses, no more procrastination. It's time to take action and put yourself in position to turn your poker dreams into reality. I hope to see that beautiful face of yours in just a couple of days. When you think about joy in your career playing cards, what's the first memory that comes to mind? Joy playing poker? Yeah. Um, well, it was, it was cer- certainly liberating to quit a job once. I get, I don't know. I guess the joy from poker comes from just supporting and maintaining my family. You know, it's, it's a, I find it's not being successful at poker that's rewarding. It's, you know, being there, being able to be there for my kid, you know, being it's able so to- clinical, Greg, it's so clinical, like no, no happy memories of like well, win, having a great winning session or winning big pots or like the first time that you realize like, holy shit, I can do this thing for a living. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. No, I'm not, I'm not just not that kind of person. Like I don't, I'm not, I don't have like, I'm not a very, um, I don't know. I don't seek out the thrill of things. Like I, I did enough of that in the army. You know, I've got enough thrill for five lifetimes, you know, (laughs) I'm it's, I get legitimizing my profession, like gets me off. You know, when, when someone says, how can you afford that kind of that house or look what car you drive? And well, it's because I do well in cards, you know, I do well in my profession or, um, you know, it, it tickles me pink to no end when one of my kids teachers has a copy of my book, you know, like <laughs> that, you know, that like being able to support and be there for her and sit all morning. Like we did all day today until, you know, a half hour before we came on doing math and science and helping her with school. I can't do that unless I'm successful playing cards. Yeah. You, and you carved out your own little niche and niche and place in life. Yeah. And there, there was a time you know, way back in the day where I, I got off on the high of scooping a giant pot, you know, and, you know, winning thousands of blinds that I, when I shouldn't, or making the big call for all the money that everybody, Whoa, you know, I don't, it doesn't do anything for me anymore. <laughs> like, you know, I just, I don't uh, <laughs> keep that a distance. Yeah, it was good, but you know, I could have been wrong. I don't know. It just, I don't, I'm not the kind of person that just gets on the, it's probably a big reason why I don't enjoy tournaments like at all. You know, I don't, I don't care for the, that, making the final table in that rush and being on camera. And like, I, I don't care. Like see, <laughs> see, ladies and gentlemen, this is why, like when you go super deep into the strategic aspect of poker, in some ways, in some ways it's easy from the outside looking in to think uh, that the stuff that we do is like magical and mysterious and there's how, no, how, there's no glitter. <laughs> how does, how, how do they do that? How do they know? Like, how do they pick that bluff off? Like, how did they, how do they decide to you know for whatever reason float on the flop and then run this massive bluff that got through and the reality is like it's a lot of hard work it's a lot of uh, a lot of number crunching it's a lot of self-reflection it's a lot of looking at data and understanding human being tendencies and when you devote your life to doing that that sucks some of the magic out of it a little bit right yeah and it's you know it it's probably the exact same reason why i have absolutely zero interest in gambling on anything I don't play casino games. I don't bet on sports because I know the math. 
you know, it's like, I know what the big is on sports. I'm in no world. Do I think I'm 10% better than the bookies ever in anything? <laughs> you know, I, I know the math of, you know, all the casino games and I choose, why would I want to put myself at, you know, a five, six, 7% disadvantage right off the bat? Like, let me play devil's advocate, Greg, because this is how I operated for a very long time. I like somebody would buy a scratch off ticket and I would be the person that like turns it over, looks at the odds and says, here, you paid a dollar for a quarterback. Does that make you feel good about yourself? Yeah, um, I'm that, that, guy too. <laughs> that, that, that's the guy that, that, that I am. Right. And, I'm that uh, guy too. I'm so bad with it. <laughs> re- recently I've come to the conclusion that it's not always about the pure EV of the, of the decision. Like you buy a lottery ticket where first place is a billion dollars. There's sort of the thrill, the enjoyment, the anticipation, the exhilaration, the imagining of like, wow, what happens if I did get lucky and beat this? Like, what would I do? And I think that like, there is value there. You're paying for that value. It's like, yeah. you're, it's like entertainment, right? You're going to a movie. You don't get your money back when you go to a movie. You pay for the movie ticket, but you get right. something out of it. And I think that like that aspect of it is something that like I overlooked for a very long period of time. And I do think that that does matter. Yeah, I mean, I can't disagree with that. Um, I just, I'm never looking for the thrill of anything. I'm just, I'm just not. Like, if I want a thrill, I'll go, I'll do another jump. You know, I'll jump out of a plane at 12,000 feet again. You know, but like, you know, it just, I don't know. It, it, yeah, it, it still, poker still gets your heartbeat. You know, it still gets your heartbeat pumping plenty, you know, but it's just, I don't know. I, I'm kind of giving you some really bland answers, but it's like, it's the truth. I just, I don't, the thrill of victory is not a thing I think about. The thrill of victory is being able to provide for my family. Not like, you know, I want to win this amount of money because it makes my record books look good. Like, or I want to crush this guy and send him home crying. Like I'd prefer not to actually, I'd prefer to death by a thousand paper cuts. So he thinks he did something right. You know, I, I I understand, man. No, (laughs) no need to apologize. Like this is, this, this this is, this is the life, right? Like I I think that Uh, this is the life. And, I will say that like this might be just a year of the pandemic speaking and being indoors, but my God, I do want the thrill of, I want excitement. <laughs> I want adventure. I want to get out there in the world and do some shit because like, I feel like I've just been cooped up for a year. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with you. It, yeah. You do want to get out of the house and have some, you know, normal life back. I would love to have normal poker back. I really would, yep. you know, but, um, I don't know. I just, I don't seek out thrill in poker at all. I, I just don't. I, <laughs> I mean, it, it's a good business decision. You, yeah. You it's, probably well, shouldn't poker. be seeking out thrills in poker. No, it, as poker is the business and I treat it like one, you know, it's work. I, it just is, you know, when I want to have fun, I'll go play golf with my dad or, you know, whatever. I'll go play, kick a ball around with my kid. But like, I don't know. I'm just, I, I've had enough thrill for enough lifetimes. I mean, <laughs> it's not something I seek out. I know that's super boring and it's like, no, oh, I don't, Poker's really fun. I don't want to turn into this boring grind. Well, eh. yeah, I mean, what... <laughs> I, I think that like, yeah, I love the game. It's a beautiful game. And to me, like there is still joy in playing. There is joy in competing. And yeah. like, I, I think that the one thing that, that I will be doing moving forward is playing more mixed games, like investing more energy into learning and how to play PLO because that like, that that's a, curiosity i would like to scratch like before it's all said and done i would like to like to be an accomplished winning p 
PLO cash game player. Um, it just seems like a fun thing for me to do. I don't know when I'm going to have time to do it because like, unlike you, I, I've, I've created this kind of job for myself as it relates to like creating the content and doing the coaching. Right. It's like, right. it's like, okay, well I never wanted a job, but then somehow I accidentally created one <laughs> yeah, myself I like in a job with a bunch of responsibilities. <laughs> But uh, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> My kid actually gave me a hard time about that a couple months ago. I had like six calls scheduled in a day and then I had something else to do. And then I had to run errands. And then like, it was just massively scheduled game or a day, just start to finish. And uh, she said something about dad, you sure you sure spend a lot of time in the office for a professional poker player. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. It, it just kind of happens. <laughs> it it, it just kind of, kind of happened where, okay, some, somehow I just woke up one day and like had built myself a job and didn't, didn't really realize it. Yep. Yeah. That's I had office hours. I'm like, Oh my God, I've, I'm a poker player and I have office hours. Like, this is ridiculous. Like <laughs> create a job, but create a nine to five avoiding the nine to five. Right. Okay, well, but at least whatever. it's on our own terms, right? <laughs> it's on my terms. I yeah, exactly. I set my own schedule. It just, oh man, it just, it cracks me up sometimes. Even my kid points it out. <laughs> yeah. It, it feels different because we set our own terms and yet we're still, yeah. we still have no choice. <laughs> like, oh yeah. Um, you have a planner what poker player has a planner. Oh God. I have like, four. oh man. Yeah. Like, I'm, <laughs> like just... a, as you say this, like I can see, like I have a, you know, a journal that I write in every single day, right. like setting my schedule and like, <laughs> unplugging like writing notes about the stuff that i need to do um (laughs) it's whole scheduling (laughs) yeah uh anyway yeah this is the nitty-gritty way behind the scenes stuff um that if you're listening i hope you're into it but because like this is the reality of the situation that's real poker it just is what it is professional poker is not pretty it's not glamorous a lot of work just is what it is right now Let's segue. I want to ask you if there's a carbon copy of yourself from whenever you started playing poker, I guess. Okay. Is that 2005? Eh, in yeah, earnest. Oh, three, four, five. Yeah. I started, I quit my job in 05. Yeah. Okay. So, carbon copy of yourself that is living right now. Yeah. He's 20 years old or 21 years old. If you could sit down that carbon copy of yourself and give them some advice, what advice would that be? Do not strive to be a professional poker player. It's something that should happen on its own. You know, it's not wanting to be a professional at something shouldn't be a thing. You know, being a professional at something should happen because of your own skill and because of your own hard work. You know, when, when I quit my job, it was literally because my job was in the way and it was, it would be a stupid decision to continue to go to work because I was making three times more. You let know, me chal- stri- let me challenge you. Do you think you could be mm-hmm. a professional poker player without wanting to be a professional poker player? Like it do you, do oh, you yeah. think the the want is half the battle? Oh, absolutely. Well, I don't know. I would gladly not be not play cards if I didn't have to. Mm-hmm. I don't have to, but you know what I mean? Like I would gladly have a different career or be a, you know an angel investor or you know whatever something else if it made more sense, but poker makes the most sense for me. But at the risk of sounding excruciatingly boring, because I kind of am in these regards, but like it, it, if you're good enough to be a professional, it will happen on its own. Your work ethic will push you there. You don't need to want to be there. It will make you there. You will go there. You know, and the, like, like you said, with when you don't focus on the results, you focus on the quality of your decisions. If you continue to do that, you continue to focus on the quality of your decisions getting better every single day. 
eventually you're going to wake up one morning and go, I'm already here. Oh, I was here three months ago. Holy shit. Look at my record book. You know? And like, I, I and I tell, I, this is like the most common thing when I get asked about playing for a living because a vast majority of people who contact me, not a vast majority, maybe 50, 60% say they want to be a pro and they want to make a living doing this. And I'm say, let's step back. That's like step Q in the letter. Okay. In the alphabet. So we got a, B and C to worry about first before we get there, you know, but you have to take all these perfect steps to get to that point. It can be a good goal, but your work ethic should get you there on its own. You shouldn't have to strive for it. It should keep you there. I think that the disconnect is that some folks look at it as like a get rich quick scheme. Oh God, it's the exact opposite. And (laughs) yeah, like I've had, I had friends, you know, maybe 15 years ago or so that wanted to play poker. They're like, I want to do it as a hobby. Like I would like to make some extra money playing poker. So I invited them over to my house and they sweated a poker session and I explained everything to them. I showed them my database. I showed them my hourly rate. I showed them the expectation. I showed them the variance. I showed them like what was a realistic look at poker. And then they never asked to play poker professionally again. Like they, they just, they saw the truth of the situation and seeing the truth dissuaded them from pursuing it. And I think that like, Sometimes if you ignore the truth of the situation and you just have pie in the sky aspirations to be a professional poker player because you think that like it looks cool or you don't want to have a job, I agree with you that it's not enough. But on the flip side, you know, as a 19-year-old, I wanted to be a pro. I wanted poker to be my living and I pursued it with everything that I had. Like it was it was like a thing where I was convinced that I could do it. I was convinced I was smart enough and I was convinced I was good enough at cards that I could just make it. And so I did everything in my power to make it. And without that want, without that drive, you know, I saved up three grand and moved 10 hours from where I had lived for the majority of my life to an unknown place um, to try to make it work. Like without the want, without the desire, I don't think I would have been able to pull the trigger. I don't think I would have continued on. Um, same same thing, really, with the podcast. Honestly, like yeah. I I wanted it to continue, and yeah. it didn't really make financial sense to continue, but I wanted to make it work. I wanted it to be successful, and so that want kind of powered powered me through the daily grind, the daily yeah. minutia. Well, it's no different than any other business, you know. How many per- what percentage of businesses make money in their first year? Spoiler alert, it's not very many. <laughs> you know, I made you- I made money. It just it was not very much. <laughs> yeah. Well, I meant in regular businesses, right? You know, so like if the if the day you file an LLC for a business and it's an idea, it's a concept, you have no working anything, no employees, no prototype, no nothing. Whatever your business is, from that day to, to year one, everybody loses money or they have to invest money or time or whatever. And poker is the exact same way. You know, when the first the first hand you ever play from that point on, your first year, you're going to lose money. Almost nobody wins money in their first year. I didn't. I'm sure you didn't. You I know, did. like, <laughs> and you're like right there that first. I, I did win. Like, I, I guess I'm that guy that just that ran good in the very beginning. Um, uh, I, like, I would say, know, again, though, like, I, I wanted it and I was obsessive. And sure. that that motivation and that drive, like, 
I showed up to Applebee's with Theory of Poker and Super System and read an hour before every shift and an hour after every shift. And like, I told people, man, I I told like people that I went to elementary school, they would come to Applebee's, sit in my section. I I would tell them, this is 2003. Yep. I'm going to be a professional poker player. Like people laughed in my face. People laugh at me now when when I say that. So (laughs) what? And I was just, I was hell bent on it. And so like with, with being hell bent on proving everybody wrong, what I did was I invested myself into the game in a way that almost nobody did back in 2003. So when I started playing, I had a natural edge, just, I wasn't any good, but the players I was playing against were much, much worse. And I happened to run good in the beginning. So like, it was like some run good and some natural ability mixed with like a lot of heart and a lot of desire. And yeah, for me, I just, I started playing, like I won immediately. I think I won my first like 12 or 13 sessions in a row. Like it was, it was absurd. It was absurd. (laughs) It's really unusual. (laughs) Yeah. It was absurd how good I ran. And then I binked the tournament on party poker, like for 15 K. And like, that was really the the catalyst of like, cool. I I can do this. Right. So I had a similar catalyst like that in 2003. I got, third in the poker stars Sunday quarter million back then. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was for an obscene amount of money for an 18 year old. And that was like the, the catalyst, you know? Yeah. It's probably and, like what? 30, 30 K 25 K something like that. Seven or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Was, see, was, I know, I know the places back then. <laughs> you've been like, there. <laughs> the 200 K's like... were like the daily tournaments back. Yeah. Back that was the, the, the Sunday quarter million. I remember that was like, I, I want a seat for 20 bucks or something. And, you know, and that was the catalyst. And, you know, that, that was, that's a whole, I had no idea. I was just clicking buttons. I mean, a monkey probably made a better decisions than I would have back then. <laughs> I, I, for me, it was like, there, there was just no option. It was going to be poker. And yeah. I just, I felt like it was what I was born to do. And yeah, I luckily for me, I got lucky. Like I ran yeah. good. I ran good in the beginning and that, that certainly had an impact, but, um, yeah, my first year I, I did end up making money, but, uh, the ensuing years, like there, there were some tough years. Um, like 2011 specifically was especially tough because of Black Friday. Yeah, that's um, yeah, that that was that was an interesting. I luckily only had a couple hundred bucks on full tilt when that happened because I was I was 30 days I think away, or no, I was just I was exactly two months from shipping out to the army when that happened, and uh, so I got lucky in that regard. But you know, I, f- I felt the same way when I got out of the army. I was like, this is this is what I'm doing because this is my niche. This is what I'm really good at you know and i i had that feeling in the military i'm like i'm really good at this and then once you know i had to have a leg rebuilt that was the end of that but you know just falling right back into poker it's like this is a natural skill this is something i enjoy this is something i'm good at i'm respected in my field yeah let's just fall i went right back to it I'm like oh, oh well <laughs> i guess this is this is this is me i guess yeah i mean i i think i, I probably want to be i want to be the person that just plays poker as a hobby recreationally like basically forever like yeah i, I want to be old man coffee that like can actually throw down right like <laughs> that yeah. actually has a four bet bluff range and a five bet bluff range playing deep stack cash yeah. games i i work as hard as i do so that some t- someday eventually poker can be purely recreational i, I hope i hope to get to that goal sometime. most poker players do work yeah. towards that goal that that is yeah. a goal of most like long-term professional poker players i found is yeah is to not have to play very often that actually is a a piece of advice I got a long time ago, but wasn't mature enough to assimilate it is that 
making money is a challenge in itself, but taking that money and investing it in something that pays you back takes a different set of discipline, a different skill set. And, you know, if, if there's, if there's a piece of advice to brand new pros or people who have just begun to make a living or do make a living, it's that don't go spending that money on flashy things and you know, use it to invest in something that minimizes your need to play cards, you know, diversify, use that money for something that pile of money underneath your bed. You're an idiot. Like put it into things that pay you buy pieces of businesses, invest, you know, start a, start a small side business and be an buy real investor. estate, like yeah, just buy real estate. If you can buy anything that pays passive income. Cause like, man, poker is really easy when you got a retirement check and <laughs> it's, it's, don't it's a lot easier all, to stomach. <laughs> like, yeah. Don't spend all your money staking players. <laughs> I think oh, that that's, that's, a, that's a whole nother conversation. I, I have some very po- unpopular opinions about that one. Yeah. I've, like, Everybody that I know that has had early success playing poker that has staked a lot of people have always lost a shit ton of money staking the people. It's like a, it's like such a low, it's such a, an obvious thing where there's opportunity, you feel like there's opportunity, but you know, as said on this show multiple times, like the folks who need staking um, for like any small type of game, there's likely a reason why they need backing. Yeah, there's a very, and I, I used to accept backing. I used to sell action when like the bigger games, when I'd sell action and stuff like that, but I don't anymore. And, you know, I think if you need to be staked, if you feel the need to be staked, a, a mistake has been made. You're either playing too big or you don't have proper bankroll management or you're doing some, you're stepping out of your element, which is going to be a mistake in itself. And there's nothing wrong with shot taking. Don't let's not mix those two, but like, you know, if you need, if you need to sell pieces of your action, then you're not hundred percent confident in your own winning ways, well, you know, and there I, are I got, opportunities, right? Like, I think there are that we kind of need to speak about as it relates to like really big games. And sure. That I, was the exception I was going to discuss too. Yeah. Like Berkey was just on the show and it's like, okay, you're playing in a game where like you can win a million in a session. Like you probably ought to have some investors. <laughs> you probably ought to. Uh, Ought to treat yeah, this like like a very business. few people who are actually rolled for black you know black chip blinds, very very few, you know and and that's like that's just one thing you know if you're you're a regular you play five ten or you play quarter quarter or what, even a two five regular that's well rolled, you know it's like if you get a chance randomly to play in some huge ass game with a bunch of whales, obviously you're going to sell action. Obviously you should do that, mm-hmm. but like on a regular basis, like you know when I, I've had a few times. What what kind of markup would you take to sell action of your of your big O game? Like you can't nothing zero. Like it doesn't work that way. Like I'm never going to give away pieces of my profit. Like I'm just not going to do that. Yeah. You know, and and nobody in their right mind is going to pay like 2.0 or 3.0 markup in a cash game. Like it's dumb. It's a terrible I've, investment. I've never even heard of people charging markup for a cash game. That's I. That's it's weird. not. I don't. I hope it's not a thing. But I know there's plenty of people that call themselves pros out there that run scams like that. Um, well, I mean, back in the day, like I remember very famous hearing stories about like very famous poker players, like selling pieces of themselves to like a 10 K (laughs) and the investors getting, getting together and like adding it up and like, Oh, they sold 200% of themselves. And then, and then they busted. Um, Eskimo Clark used to do that all the time. I never heard about that until after he had died, but I had heard like, apparently he was, he would do that all the time. He would sell two, 300 pieces of 200, 300% of himself. And bust on purpose. I'm like, oh my god! Like it's just, 
Yeah, that that's the thing. That's the thing that that certainly used to happen. Um, yeah, back in the day. I just honestly, my I I really think that in a general sense, not including the outliers of the one random big game you get sent to. I think if you're selling action, you're you're making mistakes. Honestly, like in tournaments, that's a whole other deal. I'm not even going to get into that. We talk about that for hours. Yeah, but like if you're selling pieces of yourself in your regular cash game, you, you're making mistakes. Either you're not you're not as big of a winner as you think you are. You're not confident in yourself, or you're not bankrolled enough. Either way, a mistake's been made that you are in control of. And it's likely the last one. Like you're you're yeah. you're so risk averse because your bankroll it just can't handle the swings of the stake that you're playing in. Right. You're playing too big or you're not good enough. Like, and it's, it sucks to be like, I don't think I'm good enough for this game yet. Or, you know, people that are, that are, have their whole role on the table or have half their role on the table. You know, it's like eventually the guillotine's coming down eventually. Well, this is a, this is an occupation that punishes dishonesty with yourself. And so it does. Yeah, it really does. You got to be honest. And it, as it comes to that, like chuck the ego at the door, do a proper self-assessment and yeah, that's be, so hard be honest it is hard it's it so is hard, hard. poker pulls on everything that makes us the most human well we you know? we walk a razor thin line of needing to be confident enough to execute but also needing to be humble enough to yeah. assess ourselves properly and it's tough yeah that's actually one of the big things that keeps people from being as successful as they want to is the is doing the opposite of what you just said and then but also valuing recognition over results you know, you get people that I want to be, I want to be considered the best in the room. Why? Then you won't get invited anywhere. You know, you get kicked out of every game you play or like, you know, then you don't get any action. It, it actually pays you to not be recognized as the best. Well, it's just and an intangible thing. You can't even quantify it. It, it provides you no value. There's, there's no value of being recognized by your peers. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it's nice. I got it. But it's like the irony of the one thing that everybody seems to want more than anything is I want to be considered the best. It's so counterproductive to what you're doing for a living. You know, it's just, it's not actually that, that great of a thing. I, I would actually like push back on that a little bit because, well, at least as it relates to this show, right? This, yeah. The Chasing Poker Greatness podcast, I've done over 150 of these episodes mm-hmm. now. And I don't think any of my guests have ever stated their goal to be like the best poker player that, that has ever lived. Like not right. one of them, right? It, it's like, and I think that, as it relates to like elite players and players that have a high skill level, uh, that's just, that's the thing that they recognize is intangible. It's not, it's not a thing you can prove. So it's not a goal that's really worthy of pursuit. It's, it's a goal I think that is born from ignorance and sort of like looking at the game as this magical pie in the sky type of endeavor. Yeah. Well, it also goes to the psychology concept of the Dunning-Kruger effect. You know, is you don't know what you don't know. And, you know, when you, when you cross a certain threshold of intelligence and emotional awareness and in, in poker, as it relates to poker, but this also applies to everything else in life, you know, once you cross a certain point, um, my dad used to tell me something that I never got until I played cards for a living. He, he would say, I've learned enough to know that I don't know shit. <laughs> like you or something of that, like paraphrasing of that. I know enough to know that I don't know enough. I think he was quoting a physicist or something. And uh, you know, it's like once you get past a certain point in poker and you know, you think we've all been that point point. we think we're hot shit. Like, you know, we got to that point, we started winning a lot and we're like, well, I'm pretty damn good at this. I'm kind of hot shit. And you cross the threshold and you realize 
I don't know anything. <laughs> like there's so much more in front of me than is behind me. And it just like, if you, if you can recognize that and you can get past that point of, man, I don't know. I, I know nothing. You know, I'm, I'm smart enough to know that I don't know very much. And if you get that in poker, you will be successful because you'll realize that, my God, I have a mile to go. And it's, it's just, it's an, there is no horizon on that one. It just goes on forever. And I like that. I love that about poker is I can never be perfect ever, no matter how hard I try, but I'm still going to try anyways. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because that's what makes me good. <laughs> per- perfection is not a thing that is obtainable as it relates no, to poker. No, but we try. You know, we and try. I got, the, we do I got that a lot from golf too. We always try to be perfect in golf, but nobody ever does. Nobody ever birdies all 18 holes. It doesn't happen. Even then you missed four because you didn't eagle the par fives. You know, so like, you know, it never happens. We always try to attain it. And that really, like, I find that to be fascinating. That's the exact reason I lost interest in bowling when I was a kid is because I was so obsessed with wanting to be good at it. And then I bowled a perfect game, lost interest immediately. Yeah. <laughs> I was, I was over it. I was done. I was like, yep, yeah, well, conquered that on to the next thing. Yeah. Chat, <laughs> and it can never happen in completed. poker. Yep. It can never happen in poker. You can't be perfect ever. I, I tweeted the other day that like, the more that I learn about this game, the more I realize that like, we all suck. And oh my god yeah that's the truth like the more that i learn about poker and like the way that it's supposed to be played and yeah. the way that we actually play it yeah i just learned like oh we're we're all kind of just clicking buttons and like nobody's actually really great at this game with the exception of like a handful of savants that are just you know obs- obscenely talented <laughs> um yeah. hall well, of fame hall of fame too. level players yeah i mean it's also it's also relative i mean you can be you can be an absolute genius in your craft you know, and be the world's best seven card stud player, but I've absolutely no idea how to play pot limit, anything, you know, or you can be the best in, in something and not in others. There's so few people in poker that do everything well, like very few. Very, very, um, very few. For yeah, sure. very few. I mean, I'm, I'm that way. I don't play tournaments. I probably suck at them. You know, I'm probably a giant tournament fish. You know, I'm, I'm definitely a pineapple fish. Don't play it. I played it like once 10 years ago, you know, so, but, um, yeah, it's it's definitely interesting to once you realize that. And, you know, in our future selves, look back at us now. It's like we look back at our 2009 selves or 05 selves. Like, God, we sucked at poker. We were so bad. And I'm like, my 2030 self probably sees myself now as an idiot. Yeah, like that. that's just how <laughs> poker goes, right? Like everybody's like, oh, I wish I played poker back in 2005. I'd be such a crusher. Oh, my God. And ten, 10 years from now, <laughs> 10 years from now, it's like, yeah, man, I wish I wish I played the way that I do now back in 2021 i would be such oh, a yeah. crusher and like i'd be so good like that, that's the <laughs> if reality I now, yeah. if i knew now what i knew oh my god man yeah, i'd be but, i'd be great at winning the lottery if i knew the numbers that sure. are gonna happen yeah. today <laughs> like, yeah, I, I don't i don't remember who wrote it somebody wrote a card player article a long time ago that i think it was jeff madsen actually that said uh that i suck at poker you know jeff madsen sucks at poker and he was talking about his past self He's like, I look back at how much I've learned over the past. This was, I mean, this is a long time ago, but I remember the article and it really like resonated with me. It really clicked is that you have to move forward and you have to learn at all times. Otherwise you'll be that, you know, you'll, you'll be the same shitty card player now that you were, you know, (laughs) you can't, you have to get moving. And I want to say, like, I do want to, want to give some props to the content creators, like, especially the pioneers that were releasing play and explain videos that were discussing poker content, um, poker training, poker, poker strategy back in the day, because it takes some courage because the stuff that we talk about today is going to be outdated in 10 years. And people are going to be like, what an idiot, because they thought this, like everybody thought it, right? Like it's just, 
that's the everything nature, evolves. nature of the beast. Yeah, everything evolves. You, you're talking about the John Turners and the Elkies, you know, back back then, you know, that were doing that. And somebody's got to do it, you know, and that was that was one of the first questions I was asked before, when I was starting to publish a first book is that, well, how do you feel you're qualified? I'm like, I'm not. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not, but I'm qualified to teach the basics and we'll go from there, you know? And, you know, it's like, well, you, what, how, why do you want to put out something that'll just get critiqued? I'm like, I don't care. Critique all you want. It works. I'm like, it's not going to, I'm not saying like, nobody says that this is the best way to do things, but you know, it's freaking effective. You know, if somebody else can, you know, if you can win 80% of your sessions and win more than me, I want to see it. Show me, teach me your ways. I want to learn, <laughs> you know? But like, yeah, I don't have a problem putting all that crap out there and letting people scrutinize. I don't have many critics, but you know, the ones that do all say the same thing that my game doesn't play like that. Therefore you're wrong. Okay. Well then you probably have a better method than I do. I mean, there's always critics as you, as you reach a certain number of people, it just becomes a numbers game. Like you're going to have people that hate your guts and that's just, that's the reality of poker and life. It's a real thing. I, I, I didn't, it still blows my mind, honestly, that. I, I wait for the internet trolls. I'm like always waiting. Somebody's going to come up with something terrible to say, and they're going to be right. You know, and like something to somebody's going to debunk everything I've done or write a better book or, you know, and I'm like, you know what? Good. I hope they do, you know, cause then we can learn and then the community will be better for it. But yeah, you're right. It's, it's definitely a numbers game. Yeah. That's know? the beauty of being wrong. Like when, when somebody proves you wrong, you're the one that learns. You're yeah. the one that grows. No, please put, please prove me wrong. I've come up with a better system. I challenge you. I want you to <laughs> please. So I can learn. I want to get better. Oh but. man. That, that, that's a greatness bomb. Like I, I love that mindset because it just, you yeah. lose an argument, right? Somebody out argues you proves that your points are not exactly valid. Well, yeah. guess what? You learned, you grew you learned. from that. They didn't learn. They didn't grow. Yeah. And that, you know what circle all the way back to one of our first topics that actually is a pretty good quality if you want to be good at poker is right there is that actively seeking you being wrong because like if i did something wrong and if i acknowledge my mistake i now can fix it and get better and if if i'm like this and i'm so bad about i'm such a nerd about this i obsess over things i do wrong i actively look for it you know and i tell my students this too when i when i'm teaching is that the more mistakes you make the faster i can help you the better I can help you, the better we'll get together. Cause I learned too, you know, and that people that if you're ashamed of making mistakes, you will never grow as a player. Your, your growth will be stinted, you know, you're stunted. Like there's a cap. You won't be able to do the exponential thing. And if you, if you focus on trying to find when you're wrong, you'll improve faster, a lot faster. I mean, you just have to be vulnerable in coaching sessions you have to be vulnerable and you have to be willing to look like an idiot and you have to be willing to be wrong and you have to be willing to put yourself out there because that's how a coach corrects the mistakes when you when you are vulnerable and you say like i don't really know what i'm doing here like should i do this should i do that i'm considering xyz like the more vulnerable you are the more help you get and it just that's just how it works in life as well like if you're struggling with something be vulnerable Tell somebody, ask for help because that's the way that you get it, right? You can't get help without it. You can never improve, get better, or further your situation unless you acknowledge the problem. No, and somebody with all the answers, that's that's a losing poker player. Like somebody that just is always right. (laughs) Yep. yep. If you're always right, you lose. (laughs) You you lose. 
(laughs) that's the one of my my favorite suckers at the table is the one who is uh everything they do is perfect and but everything that goes wrong is an injustice and bad luck and somebody else's fault that is a person that will never ever be anything but a beginner and when you push back they say yeah but the yeah Yeah, but that's what we talked about last time yep (laughs) that's the the student when somebody learns when i give them an answer and they respond with yeah but drawing get out of here drawing dead yeah. get out of <laughs> here with the yeah but that's it you're done yep i know exactly what you mean that's that's the one thing when people tell me that i'm like oh boy we got a challenge here it, it becomes yeah to the to the human that's saying yeah but you know they're they're basically more focusing more on prioritizing justifying their actions than yep. growth well, that's exactly what it is when and you're they, focused they, on yeah, that but. Yeah, yeah, but means here's all the things you just threw at me. I just wrapped them up. Throw that aside. Acknowledgement that it's there. Now let me explain myself. Let me tell you why I'm right when I'm wrong. Let me tell you why I thought it was right to be wrong. Like it's then you're you're done. <laughs> you can't improve. You just everything I just said was just wasted. Right. Gain awareness as the listener. If you're a yeah butter, yeah, gain don't, gain don't, awareness don't, don't that you're that you're doing it. Don't don't do it. <laughs> um all right man let, i'm gonna ask you some rapid fire questions here then we'll sure, we'll wrap it. it up if you could gift all poker players one book to read what would it be and why if i could gift uh it would be the mental game of poker by jared tindler that transcends every game um i i'm not much of a book reader which is really dumb for to say for an author um but that book will help every poker player regardless of what format you play what type of game you play what stakes how often it will help you you know and i i I attach a lot of like you know personal value to that because he was a golfer before playing poker and being a mental game coach and it's like there is no greater more valuable skill than having a a a sharp mental game there just isn't absolutely like it's it's a thing that will torpedo your career if you're fragile and fall apart on a regular basis it's a, a, a never-ending blockade that you cannot get past if you have a shitty mental game. It's just the way it is. What's a purchase you've made in the last year that's been ultra-impactful to your poker game? My house. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm signing this weekend. Yeah, it's, that's always been the, the goal, is to be a, a homeowner through poker, you know, because of building the life and the, you know, the credit and the finances to be a normal, regular suburbanite. <laughs> you know um but like and and like what's uh, something i've bought you know that's not like that i guess something small is i don't know i'm I'm an experience consumer like i don't i'm not a i don't like a lot of i'll never be the guy with a ten thousand dollar watch ever i'll never be the guy with a ferrari ever um this 450 dollar watch i've had since 2003 like <laughs> um i'm not a like i don't like being flashy i like nice things but that's it i, I take my kids shopping that's what <laughs> that's really awesome so boring i know <laughs> uh, we uh, both going out to eat or spend a good a good meal well pre-covid but yeah a good meal to celebrate a good you know week or something that's that's my splurge really honestly it's a good bottle of wine and a nice meal yeah, so the answer is nothing to that. <laughs> it dramatically improves your poker game. <laughs> it improves my poker game? No, um, I don't. I don't subscribe to like. I'm not a meditator. I'm not a. Um, I'm more of a thinker in in the moment and then processing it later. Not like 
you know, a, a time to do it. Um, I don't splurge on anything. I don't, I just, um, I'm boring. I know I'm super, I'm super boring. <laughs> All right. No big deal. It, being yeah. boring, I think is, is, uh, a good trait as it relates to yeah. being a professional poker player. The, the exciting ones are the ones that sometimes end up broke. Well, yeah. Being, being boring financially means financially secure. And I personally value that more than any possession. <laughs> so if you could wave a magic wand, change one thing about poker, what would it be? Uh, I would like people to play other games than hold them, you know, because <clears throat> the, hold a mindset is so polarizing and so ego driven usually a lot of people obsess over the simplest game i in my opinion you know outside of raz like it, it's an easy the easiest game to learn and people obsess over it and they never grow as a player and then i think the industry suffers for that you know i think we as poker players have less options because everybody plays holdem it's you what know, people and, love man it's a Cadillac, Cadillac of poker. Have I know. you heard? Yeah, I, I know. And I get it. I understand why that is the case. I understand why 80-something percent of all poker hands dealt or 90% or, or whatever it is are holding them. I get it. Doesn't mean I wouldn't change it. I would wave a magic wand and make take 20% of those players and movement of PLO and stud games and mixed games and big O games so that people would learn and find other things to do. And then there'd be more options for the game. And Could, more. It would, I think it would bring more players in. As a hold'em specialist, I... I I actually agree with you. I, I would love to play more games and love to try more games and yeah. love to experiment and learn because again, curiosity drives me and yep. it's fun exploring your curiosity. The problem as it relates to being a hold'em specialist is like you said, most of the hands dealt are hold'em and yep. I know what my hourly rate is. I can quantify yep. it. I can prove it. I know how good I am. I can't quantify my PLO hourly rate. I don't know how good I am. It's harder to quantify. And so when I invest time playing a different game, there's opportunity cost in that I'm not playing the game that I'm actually world-class and really great at. So right. yeah, it's like a, it's like a little catch 22. Um, yep. If you could erect a billboard, every poker player has got to drive past on the way to the casino. What's it say? No one cares what you folded. <laughs> <laughs> Shit drives me nuts, man. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Stop showing. Nobody cares. Like, and it's not, it's not just a, uh, an annoyance thing. It's actually a bad strategic thing. Like you're giving away in, in a game where information is currency, you're, you're freely giving away information. And there is somebody out there that's good enough to, to take that information you just gave for free to satisfy your own ego that will use it against you. I'm very good at that. <laughs> it's like, it's, I love taking free info and just beating people over the head with it. Stop giving free information. A, nobody cares, and it's it's counterproductive to what you're trying to do. Sometimes, sometimes it makes me happy. I think yeah. that's uh, <laughs> sometimes I do care because like somebody will make a fold face up, and like yeah. when I run a big bluff, and I realize like they just folded out their entire range, and that feels yeah. that feels pretty nice. But well, um, yeah, two I, points I, on <laughs> two points on that is one, you want to show me a good fold. There's a better chance I'll show you a better bluff. And, you know, it's just, it's instigating conflict that you, sh you don't need to do. Don't show, like, don't give away that free information at all. It's going it's for just, prestige, right? Like yeah. it, it's more, it's ego-based and prestige driven. Yeah. And the other point is that on the billboard, the, on the back of the billboard, it says, stop flipping your cards over to show what you were dealt on a misdeal. No one cares. <laughs> You're yeah. just wasting everybody's time. Nobody cares. Or when you, people show each other their hands when they chop and then they throw them face up in the muck and the dealer's got to like pick them out. Stop. Nobody cares. You're chopping. Don't even look. Jesus. Come, come on, man. 
<laughs> you're you're no fun. You we I need told you. you need more I'm fun. Boring. I'm boring. <laughs> Poker's a business and business is boring, man. <laughs> it's like that that's the one thing, man. Stop flipping your cards over on a mist deal. Just taking longer. <laughs> What's something that the listener would be surprised to learn that you're horrible at? I am not very good at acknowledging my own pain. Um, as far as like when it's time to go or it's time to end a session or I'm getting fatigued or the, the former soldier in me is like, no man, soldier through it, get through the pain, you know? And that's probably why I played half a baseball season on a broken ankle. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, uh, yeah. Acknowledging my own limits. I don't, I'm, I'm really bad at that. I need to start doing that. It's tough. I mean, yeah, it's, uh, I think that like, I used to think that that holding on was the tough approach until yeah. I realized that actually doing the thing that's hard to do is the tough approach. <laughs> and so like quitting when you're not, you know, you're emotionally compromised and like, you know, yeah. that things are not going to end well, like that's the hard thing to do. Uh, yeah. The easy thing to do is just sit there for 12 hours and continue soldiering on. Right. So like yep. it's, uh, yeah, I think it, it, it's framing. Um, yeah. even though, even though I tell people that's actually the piece of advice of my own that I probably break the most often, you know, is I, I'm, I'm not particularly good at, especially at a home game. Like when a, it's a special game, there's one table, you know, it only happens X amount of days and I'm tired, tilted, whatever, hungry. That's the other thing too. I'll, if I'm hungry and I got three hours left, I'll just sit there and suck it up and just like suffer through it. And I shouldn't, I'm terrible at that. You know, I'm, I'm really I have a lot of discipline, a lot of things, but monitoring my own pain and comfort level, I generally soldier through it to my own demise. Well, you know, we're all, we're all works in progress, right? Yeah, we, okay. we all have, try, we, we can all improve better. on a daily basis. <laughs> just, um, just trying to get better, man. <laughs> <laughs> we'll wrap up with these last two questions. So okay. what's some common poker advice you hear that you completely disagree with? Oh, it's anytime somebody takes a line or justifies their line with something that's counterproductive like um oh would you i should have just open shoved for eight thousand big blinds into a three dollar pot you would have folded jacks pre-flop right it's never going to happen so why are we talking about it you know it's like the people going down on the lines or like suggesting lines or suggesting things to happen that would never occur you know well if i had just driven 48 miles out of my way around a city i never go to i would never have hit that traffic jam well yeah the but it's, it's never gonna happen it goes back you know? to like pain avoidance right like just yeah it's you know trying to doing, guess doing what things that never happen you know trying to considering lines that would never happen or uh thought lines of thought that you would never ever do practically but you're like oh it would have worked so therefore it must have been right no it wouldn't have yeah that goes but, back to like just making good decisions right like yeah. shit happens you do the right thing and the world takes a giant poop on your head and like that's just <laughs> that's just how life works right like you just yeah. do the best that you can make the best decisions with the information that you have and then let the chips fall where they may and uh yeah so final question greg wrapping up this round two where can the chasing poker greatness audience learn more about you and contact you on the world wide web uh, my website double suited net double suited dot net um, double suited poker.com. Any double suited, anything is going to lead you to my site, but 
the URL is um, www.doublesuited.net is the main one. Um, you can email me directly at gregvale at doublesuited.net. I'm on Twitter at gregvale85. And yeah, any one of those will come right to me eventually. Perfect, man. And again, listener, you can click through the show page in the show notes section to contact Greg. Ben, it's been great having you on, back on, I should say. And we'll do this again sometime in the near future. Anytime you want me on, just let me know. I'll I'll always come on and enjoy our conversations. Take care, brother. All right. Thanks, dude. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Chasing Poker Greatness. If you have yet to subscribe to the show, please take a second to do so on Apple Podcasts or wherever your favorite place to listen to podcasts may be. For more content from me, Coach Brad, please visit our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash enhance your edge, and I'll see you next time.